Thank you, Devin. I've taught you well. Um, no. <laughs> well, this, uh, this morning we have opportunity to again look into a very practical, some say the most practical book in the New Testament, the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, the book of James, though most of your verses will be in your outline this morning. But it's always great to look at your own Bible if, as you kind of uh, focus on what God has said. I was, I was thinking just before I came up, I was, I was uh, remembering a quote by D.L. Moody. And, and, you know, Bibles come in all shapes and sizes. There are some that are, that are really small, and there are some that are really big family Bibles. And, and some have expensive covers, and some have uh, inexpensive covers. But uh, sometimes if you want to have a Bible that lasts longer, you'll have it made out of leather. But this is what he said about the Bible. He said, every, every Bible ought to be bound in shoe leather. In other words, we need, we need to take what we learn and not realize and think it's just something for a religious experience. But we, we ought to take it out and then walk in such a way that they can see that we've, we've, we've interacted with God's truth to the point we want to use our hands and feet for Jesus. Well, this morning I have a simple outline. Uh, well, maybe not necessarily simple uh, the way I put it in the, in the, in the, in the text. But, but uh, a simple question I want to ask you. How, how are you doing? How are you doing? I had that question asked me right between services, how are you doing? And often when we hear that question, we respond not with how, you, how we're doing, but how we're feeling. You know, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good today. You know, I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, and if you're competitive like me, I say, I'm doing better than you are, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Okay? There's all kinds of responses as we think about that question, how are you doing? But in reality, that question, if you take it literally, has nothing to do about feeling. You know, I'm, I'm feeling up, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling encouraged, I'm feeling discouraged, I'm feeling, you know, enthusiastic, I'm feeling not so enthusiastic, I'm feeling bad, or I'm feeling, you know, great. It, it really speaks not about feeling, but performance, isn't it? How, how, are, how is your life being lived out? Now, if we've got very specific, we might say, how are you doing in this new sport you're trying to, to, uh, to learn, whether it's uh, golf or or some other type of experience. If you're, if you're snowboarding, or if you're skiing, um, the, one, of the, one of the ways to get better at that, you have to remember that getting better at snowboarding or skiing, you have to fall a lot. So you, you're only getting better if you're falling, all right? That, that's part of the process. Or it could be not sports. It could be if you're, if you're developing a new sk- skill in the kitchen. Um, my skills are very limited in, in the kitchen, you know? But h- how are you doing it? learning how to cook? And you could, you know, answer that question. But we're not going to be going to those other phases of life. We're going to be asking the question, how, how are you doing spiritually? How are you, how are you doing well in the things that, that God wants you to do well in? And many of you are familiar with that statement in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew 25, where at the end of our life, we want to hear a few words from Jesus. And the first two words are, well done, right? So, so we recognize that in the future God's going to look at us, and he's going to say, you've been doing well, or you have not been doing well. And then you might ask yourself the question, well, if I want to get well done on my report card, a happy face from Jesus, how do I know I'm going to get a happy face from Jesus? What is doing well for God? Well, we're going to see that in the text this morning. And so we're going to ask you that question, how are you doing? Not from your own perspective, or even the person sitting next to you or behind you, or at home, or at work, or in your neighborhood, but from God's perspective, how are you doing? Now, the good news is, is God gives us the info where we can 
know the answer before the answer is posed to us by God. How have you done? And we can say, I've done well because we did what God wanted us to do. So what is it that God wants us to do to do well? And let me just give you four words. I've, I've complicated it in the message. I've tried to take it right out of the text. But if these things are true of you, you know on your report card you're going to get a well done. And that is if you're caring, humble, careful, and forgiving. Let's see if we can say that together. Caring, humble, careful, and forgiving. Well, let's see this in the text this morning. And um, James, we kind of left off and we're kind of in some ways right in the middle of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is God uh, is concerned that we see people the way He sees them. And if somehow we look at people in a partial way, I mean, with partiality, we look down at some people and we look at up at other people, elevate them, based just on externals, then we've missed it. We should have a sense of impartiality with people. We, we see people as God sees them. And so that is the, the context of the, the passage that we're going to jump right into. He takes it another level, or he gets... He gets another way to drive that point home, and this is what he says in James chapter 2, verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are, what's the next two words? Doing well. So, so hopefully you, you get the flow of thought as I've kind of just taken it out of the text. How do you know if you're doing well? Well, God tells you if you're doing well. You're doing well if you're loving people as you love yourself. That, you see that right in their text? I, yeah, you don't have to see that in the Greek. It's right there in the English. You are doing well from God's perspective if you take these words to heart and live them out. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Or to put it this way, from God's perspective, you are doing well if... You love people, and you love them as yourself. Now, some people, as they, as they look at this big book, they, they struggle with the use of the word law. Okay, in fact, most of us, when we think of the word law, is that, does that bring up you know, positive thoughts or negative thoughts? You know? um, for many of us, we're thinking about law as that which restricts us, right? It's rules and regulations. It's, it's somehow... Uh, you know, putting the burden of life upon you based on someone else's agenda, right? There's rules and regulations. This past week, we had to post some things in, in one of our rooms because the, the law told us we had to post certain things, you know, in, in an institution. Uh, but we need to understand that this is not someone else's arbitrary rules or regulations or laws. You know, sometimes people say, I'm, I'm laying down the law. They could say down in your family or at work or whatever. I'm laying down the law. And we're thinking, well, man, they're going to impose their will on us. Well, we need to recognize that, that God's law is not just a law. It's a royal law. A royal law speaks very simply about where the law came from. It came from royalty. If ever I impose a law or regulation on you, it didn't come from royalty. I am as far as from royalty as you can imagine. But this is a law from the king, the one in the ultimate sense of being in authority and being a good authority. Then he says, okay, this is what I really want to point out to you, what is, is so important if you're going to do well. 
I need, I need for you to see people and to treat people like, like I want you to treat them. Now, a couple weeks ago, we, we put love in a different context. It's the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. It's in your outline. In everything, therefore, don't you, don't you hate it sometimes when the Bible, you know, you know, makes it so plain? How about in a few things? How about just in a few things I have to treat people a certain way? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. And just in case you understand how important this is, this is the Law and the Prophets. This is all of what this big section in your Bible, two-thirds of your Bible is the Old Testament. This is what that's all about. I want you to live the law of love. And if you understand what that means, it means you need to treat people like you want to be treated. So it gets beyond sentimentality. You know, I feel so, so excited to be around you. I feel all these warm fuzzies when, when I'm, you know, trying to, you know, be a good friend. And it has nothing to do with feelings here. Now, it can involve feelings. And often, God, and God gives us emotion and feelings. But I say, if you're loving someone, you're going to treat them exactly like you want to be treated. Or, as he said, treat them like you treat yourself. Now, how well do we treat ourselves? Well, sometimes we don't do a good job of it, but we always want to do a good job of it, right? Isn't that true? I mean, if I'm hungry, I want to get what? I want to get food. If I don't, if I don't think I'm looking very good when I look in the mirror, I do everything I can to look a little bit better, right? If, if I'm tired, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe I ought to, you know, get some... You know, rest, okay? I, I, I'm thinking about my needs. I, I, I try to do what's best for me. And, and that's what he means about loving people as you love yourself. Just, just do what you would naturally do for yourself. And, and he really said, this is going to be the fulfillment of all the law. Now, there was a lot of laws in the, in the Old Testament. There were over 600. And he divided them. They were basically half thou shalt, and the opposite is thou shalt not. You guys are still with me, all right? But if you had over 600 commandments, you're thinking, that's a lot to remember. Can anybody recite all 600? Okay, so they're saying, how can we, how can we make, summarize these a little bit? And God did it, you know, four a few times. He gave us the, the top, top 10, right? And really when he gave us the top 10, he said, I'm not just giving you some, you know, list of these are, these are the important ones. I want you to understand that this is this is what ought to govern your life as you understand what is important to me. And, and really, even the, two, the Ten Commandments can divide not exactly in half, but there, there were commandments directed to God, and there were commandments directed toward people. And that's how, why Jesus said, you know, you can summarize all the love with the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbors yourself. But again, God, God gave us all these words in this book so that we might, again, understand what that means to love. Because, again, we, we'll kind of love on our own skewed way. But he says, particularly as it relates to me, I want you to know this. And let's just race through the Ten Commandments. Number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. See, if, if God is our supreme love, that we, we desire what's, what he wants more than anything else in this world, we'll have no other, no other God close to him. And we might not call that God, but if, if anything or anyone is more important to you than God, then you haven't got past the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes, like, well, you, shall, you should make no idols or images of God. We say, okay, even if you say, I, I'm going to love God more than anybody else, don't create God in your own image. 
Don't, don't bring God down to your own level. Realize he is the supreme being in this universe. And you need to understand who he is. And then he says, if that be true, you need to understand. Third commandment is that you shall, you shall do nothing that will bring shame to his name. Don't take his name in vain. And he wasn't really simply talking about words. He's talking about actions. Don't do anything that will somehow damage that relationship. And then he goes on and says, okay, and then practically, if, if that is true, you're going to have to put a priority to this. You shall keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Which really, in the New Testament, it speaks of this. It's not a matter what day it's on. But do you set aside time to worship me? And that's a priority. So, so he speaks about the vertical relationship in terms of our love life. Then he gets down to where we live. And, and he speaks about the, the idea, the truth that we ought to love people as we love ourselves. And he said it begins in the family. You should honor your, your father and your mother. And then he said this is how love is lived out. If you really love people, this is pretty, pretty simple, but it's pretty clear. You, you shouldn't murder them. You shouldn't take their life. Of course, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took that a lot, lot further than simply taking the breath out of someone's living being. You don't take your words and just, just slander them and take their reputation and take their life and just demean it by what comes out of your mouth. It's like, it's like murdering people when you call someone a fool and mean it in your heart. And, and then, then you would never take someone's wife and do something egregious as, as living with them in a, in a physical environment that is only reserved for those who are married. And he said, don't commit adultery. And, and you would never take the possessions of someone because you care about them. You wouldn't steal. You'd never bear false testimony. You'd never covet someone else's things more than desiring for them to enjoy what they have. And so he really speaks and said, this is, this is what the law is. It's to live out simply. You ought to love God and then love people. Love them as yourself. And if you do this, you will do well. And, of course, he speaks, you know, who is your neighbor? <laughs> the Good Samaritan story says your, your neighbor is anyone in need. Now, we qualified that a couple weeks ago. What does it mean to really love? It doesn't mean you, you, you treat all people as, you tr- you, it does mean you treat all people as equals, but you don't necessarily treat them all the same because people are different. They have different needs, different concerns. And if you've ever had children in your home, you realize every child is different. You love them equally. You don't necessarily treat them the same. And one of the reasons we know that because Jesus didn't treat everybody the same. He didn't treat Peter the same way he treated John. He didn't treat John the same way he treated Peter. And Peter got that right sometimes. Sometimes he got it wrong. And that's found in Galatians. Also, you must understand, you, you might not like everybody, but you must love everybody. You, ought to, you know, as Jesus said, you know, everyone loves those who love them. But I tell you, love people who don't love you in return. So this is a rather radical, radical challenge for us, but it's, it's doable in the power of the Spirit. Do you want to, on your report card before God... Get that well done grade. Do you, if God were asking you, how are you doing? How are you doing in following me? Hopefully you'd be, be in, not in a prideful way, but in an honest way. I, I think I'm doing well. Well, why do you think you're doing well? Because I'm trying to look at people the same way you look at people. 
I'm trying to treat them like I would like to be treated. I'm trying to love them as I would love myself. Then how do you try to love yourself? This is, this is how our love is lived out. Your love is pursuing what you think is best at any moment, right? You, you, want, to, you want what's best for you at any moment. Okay, I'm going to go out to eat. I'm going to look for a bad meal. Anybody want to do that today, right after lunch? Hope I didn't put that lunch mindset in your mind. I want to go out and get a bad meal. No, I want to get the best meal I can at a good price, right? So that doesn't mean necessarily. But you know what I mean? We, we want what's best. That's what love is. And we want what's best for somebody else. Doesn't mean we, we're spoiling people or being indulgent. I'm not talking about that kind of best. But we want what's really best. But God's love takes it a step further. God's love is pursuing what is best, not just what you think is best, what is best. And that's why God wants us to understand this is what he wants us to do to do well, to love people as we love ourselves. And where does that come? First John 3.18 says, Let us not simply love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. And we ought to love people where we're sacrificial. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it says not only what we ought to do in love, but how we are to love. Right? Because it's not only what you do, but it's how you do it. Have you noticed that? You can do something really sacrificial for somebody, but you do it in an abrasive way that doesn't come across as love. It comes across as something else. So how do you do well? You do well by being caring. Of course, the question is, are we being caring? And we see people as God sees them, as people who he cares about, so much so that he sacrificed himself for their needs. Secondly, how do you know you're doing well? It's, it's being humble. And what does it mean to be humble? Uh, I put it this way. If you're convinced that your sin makes you completely guilty. I've wrestled on how to say this. I would probably put it a different way now. I, if, if you're convinced that your sin makes you as guilty as anybody else's sin. And no matter how I put it, it didn't seem like it, it just grabbed me like I wanted to grab it. it, it it's realizing that you're not better than anybody else based on what you have done or haven't done. Because no matter what you have done or haven't done, it still falls short. Would, would you understand that? Would you agree with that? We did a series a while back. I don't even know how long ago. It was a couple years ago, three years ago maybe. And we went through the book of 1 Corinthians. And if, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're never going to find it. Because every church has what in it? people. And the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. So if you're a perfect person, the, play, the church has no need of you. One, because you don't realize you're not, you're, you're, that you're, you're not perfect. And if somehow you feel, well, I'm, I'm close enough to perfection that that everybody else is so much lower than I am. I mean, you've missed it. And James puts it pretty strongly. And first of all, he, he takes a sin that most of us say, well, you know, of all the sins, this is not very bad sin. But if you show partiality, now, treating someone a little bit differently than you treat somebody else because you think, you know, one person is a little bit more significant or better than the other person, does that seem really that bad on a human level? I mean, we do it all the time, right? I mean, eh, that person's a little, 
he's more cool than that person, or that, that person has accomplished much more than that person, or that person hasn't done what that person has done. And we kind of look at the person a little bit differently. They're, and he said, well, you know, that's just natural, right? That's just natural. We all do that. We like certain things. We don't like other things. And that's all right to like certain things and other things. But how you treat people, and, if you do, if you, and do you really in the heart of hearts love them, that's what he's saying. If you show partiality, he says this, in no uncertain terms, you are committing, what's the three-letter word next? Sin. You're talking partiality is sin? Yes. And, and it's the word in the original language. It means it's falling short of God's standard. God says, here's the passing grade in terms of doing well. It's treating people a certain way with love. But on the other side, it's treating people as you see yourself as as a person who is imperfect. And if somehow you feel significantly you're better than they are, you are now seeing them differently, probably treating them differently. And you are sinning. You're falling short of of the standard. And then he goes on and says, in case you didn't get that word, let me give you another one. And are convicted... You're a convict in God's eyes by the law as transgressors. That's the other side of sin. One sin is falling short. The other is going beyond what God wants you to do. It's going past, you know, the, the, the finish line to the point where you really aren't finished. You're now lost. And then he goes on and he even says it in a strong word. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in how many points? One point. He has become, next word there, guilty of all. Those are strong words, no matter how you want to take it in its context. If you've messed up, it's like you're guilty of everything. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have been a transgressor of the law. It's like you're just... You've committed the worst of what we would call sins because you've, you've messed up here. For uh, you know, those who are cooking, this analogy will only go so far for me because I don't understand it. But you know, if you're cooking something and you just leave out one ingredient, does it affect what comes out of the oven very much? You know, it, drastically, right? Well, I only left out one thing. But now it's not edible. Okay, if you're going out and and uh, this happened to me yesterday, you know, I would say, "Now be careful, you're going to spill this." And I, and I was eating it, and then I, I'm doing pretty well, and then I, I, I didn't, I wasn't really careful, and then all of a sudden it was all over my shirt. It was well, it actually wasn't. It just there was this big spot right here. Now, if you were to look at me, how would you describe my shirt? Dirty, Dirty right? Well, I've only got this one spot. I know, but when I look at you, that's all I see is that one spot, right? And so what happens is we, we diminish the spots that we've put on our shirt. Or we diminish the things we left out and the thing we were baking or making. And God says, it's, it's broken. It's, it's dirty. It's unwearable. It's unedible. But as, as simple as this is, as powerfully as, as James tells the church there, and it's interesting, in, in where, you know, sometimes in the Greek, the, the word if can be translated since. It wasn't if you show partiality. He says since you're showing partiality. You're missing the mark. You're going way beyond, uh, you know, you've passed your loss. 
And it's like you're committing all of it. And all I can see is this big spot in your life. I got a, I was, I, I got an email this, this no, actually, actually I got a text this week. And it, it, was, it was so, it was interesting it came in this week. And it was, it was, a, it was a person who goes to church regularly. Uh, I've heard the person's testimony. And they said, I, I, I read online on the Internet, someone sins, things they have done, and I just got so disgusted and angry at what they had done. In fact, I'm not going to church anymore. Now, I think we ought to be disgusted and angry at sin. But when we're more disgusted and angry about someone else's sin, we've missed it. We've missed it. And I can't tell you how many things I wanted to write back to this person. But I just... I just sent this reference back. When we're more angry about someone else's sin than our own sin, then we're not doing well. Now, in this series, I've, I've, I've tried to put reminders or qualifiers to understand all of what God says about sin. There is no degrees to sin as far as making us guilty. There are degrees of sin in terms of the consequences. But if you have your outline, this is how I put it. All sin is not equal in its consequences, but all sin leaves no room for pride. And whenever God's people somehow, they might have heard the phrase, but they don't really live it in their own heart. You know, this is the perfect place for imperfect people, but somehow I'm not that imperfect. I heard someone say there's only two types of people in this world imperfect people, and Jesus. There are, there are different consequences for sin. In Matthew chapter 18, we're not going to look at these because it's the time, but in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is with the disciples, and they're filled pretty much with that which we should not be filled with, with pride. And he says, I just want you to, if you, if you treat certain people in such a way that you cause them to stumble, let me tell you, it's worse than you can imagine. So when, when our sins affect not only ourselves but other people, the consequences are great because there's a, that ripple effect. The guilt is the same whether it affects anybody else or not because it, 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 it just is a shame on the name of God when we're a follower of His and we do things that just bring shame to His name. But when we commit certain sins that impact others, there's a greater impact. There's greater consequences. In Romans 13, it speaks about the government has a responsibility to measure out justice. Not, they don't always do it well, but consequences for certain people's actions because it affects other people's lives. But it's interesting, Jesus even said this about people. He said, you know, you know who's really going to get the stricter judgment? It's, it's people who ever teach about God. James 3, verse 1, that those who teach will experience the stricter judgment. Again, why? Because if we give out air about the most important subject in all of the universe, about God, we'll lead people astray. So there is a, a sense in which all sin is not equal because there are greater consequences for your actions, whether it be in a legal sense or a a, a in, in, uh, 
affecting other people's lives or leading people spiritually astray. But all sin, all sin makes us guilty before God. And there is no room whatsoever for people to be filled with pride. So ask yourselves the question, ask, ask all of us the question, how, how are we doing? Not how we're feeling, but how are we doing from God's perspective? Are we caring? Do, do we desire, and we're talking about direction here. We never do it perfectly, but it's the direction of our life. I want to love people as I love myself. I want to love people the way God wants me to love people. I, I want to seek that which is best for people at all times. And then secondly, are we humble? Are, are, are we seeing our sin just as, as, as grieving to the heart of God as anybody else's sin? Do we understand those, those hard words? If, if, if we've committed one sin, it's like committing them all. Do we see ourselves as those who have fallen short and there is no room for pride? In the life of a Christ follower. Thirdly, we're doing well if, if we live knowing that our words and our actions are going to be judged. And I phrase this in terms of one word. Are, are you being careful? Because there, there can be a place, and I, I've met many people who, who name the name of Christ, and it's, it's like somehow they feel like now that they have a ticket to heaven, they can do whatever they want. And God doesn't really matter because all their sins are forgiven. And all of our sins, if we really know Christ, are forgiven. But, but God wants us to live it out. And so if, if this is just the word I throw in it, we got to be careful because our, our, our lives are being watched by God. In James 2.12, he simply says this, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Now, when no one's around... Let's think about when you were growing up. This maybe relates more to guys than gals. I don't know. But, you know, if your mom wasn't around or the teacher wasn't around or, you know, people who, you know, the pastor or the church wasn't around, whatever, like, you, might, you might say all kinds of things, you know, out of your mouth. Man, your, your, your mouth would just flow with all kinds of stuff. But as soon as someone that, that might not like what you're saying was around, it changed immediately, right? Same thing with actions. You might do all kinds of things, but if you knew people were watching you know, you, you might, might change some of the things you were actually involved in. Well, that doesn't stop when we're growing up. That stops, that, that, that continues throughout our life, doesn't it? But sometimes we forget that God is always watching. And he's, he's watching to see us do well, but he notices when we don't do well. And so he inspires James, writing this letter to these Jewish Christians that are dispersed everywhere. He says, I, I want you, it's very, he, he's pretty plain here. So speak and so act as to those who are to be judged. And, and it's going to be a righteous judge. It's, it's the law of God. It's the law that really is to set you free. And when we look at God's law from his perspective, and, and law, God's law was to point out our sins so we could not measure up to God on our own efforts. But God's law is good as well because it tells us what's right and what's wrong. He said, if you do what's right, it sets you free. I, I was trying to think about that. 
are there certain laws you just don't like? I mean, there's all kinds of laws. You know, when I'm driving and there's no one on the highway and they post a speed limit, I just want to go as fast as I want to go. I just want to put the pedal to the metal, all right? And you're saying, this is restrictive. This isn't, this isn't setting me free. This is, this is restricting my, my behavior. But let me give you a different scenario. What if all of a sudden you're going around this curve and they, and they, they give you a speed limit? And you slow down, yeah. This curve, and, and they, they, give, you know, they give the amount, and maybe it's you're, you're going full blast, and all of a sudden the curve, you better get down to 35 and, or 25 or whatever it might be. And some of us are tempted to always go a little five miles over what that posted sign is. But, but why do they give you that, that, that speed limit? Is it to hurt you or to what? To help you, to protect you. And so God is saying, I want to protect you, so be careful. There's a verse in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, which is, it says, no careless word will be left unaccountable. Again, however you want to take that, that sounds like God wants us to be careful about what comes out of our mouth, right? No action taken will, will not be one in which God does not observe. And so, so we need to be careful, not fearful, not be so worried that we're always going to mess up. Not, he's not talking about that. He's simply saying the direction of life, I want to speak and act in such a way that I'm free to, not, not to do whatever I want to, but to be, be what God wants me to be. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the pursuit of, of a person who really knows God? I want to be what God wants me to be. You know, if, if you're in an athletic team, I, I, want to, I want to do what pleases my coach. You know, if, if you're in a, in a job, I want to do what my boss wants me to do. I want, I want to please him. And God says, I, I, as we relate with God, I want to be careful to do what honors him. Your eternal life can be secured, but how you live does matter to God. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that one that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Our lives will be evaluated. So how are we doing? Are we doing well? Are we being caring by loving people as Christ loves us and how we naturally love ourselves? Are we humble, not seeing our sin as less than somebody else's sin? No, no perfect people are allowed in God's program, only forgiven imperfect people. And are, are we seeing that our words and our actions are going to be judged? And then one other verse in our text this morning is, is found in James chapter 2, verse 13. And relates to the idea, if you're eager to show mercy as you have been shown mercy, which is really the idea, are you a forgiving person? James 2, 13 says this, For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. When we in our life, you know, there are a lot of things, hopefully, you know, we can maybe circle that would describe us in, in, in our pattern of life. And, and there's a lot of attributes that we could really pursue and desire. It could be the descriptions of, of our, our character, our nature. And one of the ones here is one we don't normally think about a lot. You know, were you, were you a merciful person? Were you willing to withhold back that which someone did deserve? You know, 
Grace is not getting what you do deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What we do deserve is God's punishment, right? And, and that's mercy. Grace is, we don't deserve God's love and, 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 and embracing of, of um, a place in which he has prepared for us to go, but he gives it to us anyway. And, and so there, there are times in our life that, that we know that we could punish someone. Rightfully so, maybe. But we take a step back and we want to err on forgiveness and mercy than justice and judgment. Now, God is the great one who will judge everyone. No one ever gets away with anything. But even within that, God showers his mercy upon us. And, and he speaks to them very plainly again. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We ought to be willing. Now again, a qualifier here is, is this. We ought to be willing and well, uh, ready to discipline and be disciplined. But we ought to be quick to show mercy. There is throughout Scripture that we are to be held accountable for our actions even on this side of eternity. So as parents, you, you don't spoil your children. You, you do train them up. You hold them accountable for things that are important to you. It happens in a, in a job environment, in the military, in all kinds of places. There's a place for discipline. But in the midst of that, there's also a place for mercy. And mercy, if you're going to have a synonym for it, it would be forgiveness. You're going to see in your Bible study this week, yeah, Peter has asked, well, how many times, how many times do I have to forgive this individual? You remember that story? Nod your head like you've heard it at least once, okay? You know, G, Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I, it's found in, uh, I think it's, um, is it Luke 18? And, and, he, and he says, well, how many times do I have to forgive this person? And, he, and he, he even gives Jesus an answer. How about three times? How about seven times, right? He says, okay, how about, if, seven time, if they do that to me seven times in a row, can I now stop forgiving them? Now, actually, that was a pretty merciful statement by Peter. Because the rabbis said you could basically, uh, you only had to forgive people three times. You get three times and then you're gone, all right? So he did twice what the rabbis said and added one. And so Jesus, uh, you know, looks down at Peter and probably shaking his head and said, no, 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 not seven times. Seven times 70. Now, I'm sure we all think that there's certain people in our life who have just done us bad. An un, uh, in a numerous, I mean, a numer- such a, n- a number of times you can't even count to. But most people haven't done the same thing to you 490 times. And Jesus wasn't saying on the 49, 491st time you can do it. What he's saying here is you need to be forgiving over and over and over and over and over, 490 times, something you can't even imagine times, to show the mercy that God has shown you and let it be showered on somebody else. And if there's anything that has ruined many of a Christian's life, it's their inability or unwillingness to forgive someone that's hurt them or hurt someone that they've cared and loved. And I understand how difficult it is to be forgiving when someone's pain has been so deep. 
But the reality is when you're not willing to forgive somebody, you are, you are kept captive by your bitterness. And God says, forgive as you've been forgiven. Show mercy as you have been given mercy by God. So what's the point this morning? The, the point is God wants us to do well. He wants us to know beforehand that when he sees us, that we can have that report card well done. Not because we have certain gifts or talents that are way beyond somebody else. Not because we, we uh, shot the winning basket or we can cook like no one else can cook or we can you know, um, perform at our job better than anybody else can ever, has ever performed you know, in the history of mankind. He said, what I'm concerned about is not what you do for a living, but how you live. And you're doing well if you're, if you're caring, if you're humble, if you're careful about what you say and do. And at the heart of who you are, you are quick to forgive as you have been forgiven. Let's pray. Our Father, these are straightforward words out of your word. And it really speaks about what we're impossible to do on our own because we're not that caring. We're not that humble. We're not that careful. We're not that forgiving. But when we've come to that place where we know you who is that caring, who is that forgiving, then it changes everything. And Father, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they realize that this is, this is the message of the Bible. This is the message of Jesus. That it's not about being religious, but having a relationship with you that changes everything from the inside out. And Father, if there's anyone here who wants to look at their lives and know that, that God who is holy and righteous is willing to forgive them of everything they've ever done by what Jesus did on the cross, might they realize today they simply need to open up their hearts, put their faith and trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross, and commit their life to him, and you'll come in and change them from the, again, the inside out. And Father, for us who have made this commitment, might, might we recognize that, that you want us to live in a way that shows that. And it ha- doesn't have to be some great mystery. It, it simply means, I want to be more caring. I want to be more humble. I want to be more careful about what I say and do. And I want to be forgiving as we have been forgiven. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we close.